Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch Roundtable Freeform Discussion about Lore and the Games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two Lore Focus writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's the other Lore Focused writer over on Blizzard Watch. That would be Matt Rossi. Hey Rossi. Hey everybody. You How... caught me mid yawn. How... I haven't slept in like five days. You're you're Edmonton, right? Or yep. like what what is that? I don't know. Edmonton is Edmonton is about midway through Alberta. Alberta okay. is the province. Okay. And Edmonton is about if you go north to south, it's about almost exactly like two thirds of the way up. Forgive my lack of Canadian geography skills, but I heard that there were tornadoes up in what, like Ontario or something? That's Ontario not even remotely Quebec. close. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. like, that's, uh, that's on the other that's, side of the country. That, that's, that's closer me. to him. Yeah, okay. that's closer to him than me. Oh, all right. No, uh, we're we're having we just had like three days of snow. Oh. And today it just turned. To, it's like it went from three days of snow to the bright, sunny, and four degrees Celsius. So uh, you can't hear it now. It finally stopped, thank God. But like I was afraid I was going to be doing this podcast with the sound of all that snow melting right outside my window. Yeah, I have that so. happen here. Um, not so much in my room, but sometimes if you're in the living room in the middle of the winter when it's starting to warm up, the the snow will come off the roof in sheets. So it That's... sounds like there's a train driving over. This said we, we were we, when this first started. I was making myself some food before the podcast, yeah. and um, I was actually even we were talking about I don't even remember what we were talking. About. I think we were talking about Warfronts, my wife and I, and uh, we're like, you know, that sounds like what you're what you're cooking sounds like it's sizzling really hot. I'm like, I shouldn't be doing that. And I go in the kitchen, and I look out the window, and it's just the water coming pouring down. So yeah, it was it was kind of messed up. I've been doing a lot of Warfronts, guys. I'm very tired. Okay, well. I'm glad that you were not part of that whole tornado situation thing that was going oh, on. I no was tornadoes. pretty sure that was on the other side of the of the yeah, country. Yeah, that's, that's, that's but, over um, near the Great Lakes, yeah. Yeah, let me go ahead and introduce our other writer, however, or our other co-host, who's also a writer sometimes <laughs> about shaman stuff, but he also knows about lore. This is the messiest intro ever, and I'm sorry. Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? And yes. Yes, this week has been interesting with tornado scares and now, all the other stuff. Now, has it hit near where you're? Because you're yeah. up in like the I'm in other, Buffalo. You're the other end of New York State. Yeah, I'm in Buffalo, but okay. I'm right below like Toronto. Like I'm maybe an hour and a half drive away from Toronto. So yeah, we when we had those those nasty winds that came through this area, uh, we were literally under lock and key for like eight hours because there were tornadoes forming in like the suburbs and rural areas of our, our, our like region. It was fun. It was entertaining, but in good news, uh, my new kitten has learned how to get along with my dogs. So that's entertaining. Awesome. So now that's they chase each good. other around the house and just kind of like then fall out and lay, lay next to each other and just kind of pant and call it good. It's good. Oh, Oh, if we're going to talk about cute animals, uh, my wife and I were walking our dog and we saw a coyote. Yeah. Like an actual, honest to God, and a big coyote too. Yeah, we had we have one in our area too because I, of course, I live in a wildlife nature preserve. Um, we have yeah, a, a group of coyotes and a group of wild turkeys that have been like now sort of taking over the area. Turkeys See, are actually meaner. 
I see coyotes all the time, but that's because I live on a mountain in the middle of nowhere, so it's kind of commonplace out here. It's not a, it's not really a residential area. Yeah, this this is actually a neighborhood, so having a coyote yeah. right there is a little weird, but yeah. We got a picture of it. It was right there. So. Wow. Okay. Well, this was all wonderful conversation, but it has nothing to do with lore. Well, is... There could be coyotes in the game. Sure. Listen, I was just commenting on how well, Samus is learning to get along with Sylvanas. It's the, fine. The Volpera look kind of like... I mean, they've got, like, they're the whole Fennec Fox thing going on, but I guess that's not really close to a coyote at all, except that mm, it's vaguely dog-like. Anyway, um, right. So, hi, guys. We're here to talk about lore. Lore about Blizzard Entertainment, which includes mostly World of Warcraft, because that's what all, everybody keeps emailing us and asking about, and sometimes other games as well, although not as much lately, because we haven't really had much come in in the way of lore for other games lately. Not to my I'm knowledge. I'm telling you, after BlizzCon, we're going to do a Diablo show. Yes. Yeah. We, we like. I cannot wait. Uh, provided they give us the announcement that we have been begging for, yeah, there may very well be some kind of Diablo show following BlizzCon. Um, let's just keep our fingers crossed for Diablo 4 because that would be great. Okay. Um, so instead today we're just going to kind of dive into the reader mailbag because we got a few different questions to answer here. And um, I don't know, we'll probably scurry off on tangents because that's just what we do. Uh, the first email that we have here, though, this one is uh, uh, from a reader who had an Overwatch question, which we rarely get those these days, and a lot of that has to do with Overwatch not really having much of a narrative these days, which I'm kind of annoyed about, but that's okay. That's a story for another time. Anyway, this email says, Hello, Watchers. I play Overwatch in Portuguese, and I notice that Mercy has a voice line just for Brigitta, something like, I'll protect you, Brigitta. I've never heard Mercy say anything directly to other heroes. Are they related in any, any way? No, not biologically. I mean, she would have known no. her because Brigitta is Torbjorn's daughter, and Torbjorn and Mercy obviously knew each other. They were even like... Yeah. Torbjorn at one point was making that the rifle Anna uses using... Uh, Mercy's technology, which Mercy was not 100% okay with. So they definitely would have known each other, and it's likely that if he brought his children over... Um, I, I don't know how often he would have brought any of his children in to see what they do. I don't know if they had to take your daughter to work day or anything. But there's certainly an awareness of who they are. Well, it's also interesting to me because they're... I mean, Mercy, Angela Ziegler, is a doctor, and, you know, Brigitte is one of Torb's many 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 children it's entirely possible so that she, it's also possible that she is the physician that looked after his kids i mean if you're already working with somebody you work with an organization you're worried about the safety of your family and you have a top grade medical person on your staff why wouldn't that medical person take care of the you know team members families as another layer of security and safety i i can think of a couple of reasons why not one would be that you know mercy had like a job already and there's how many people in Overwatch at its height? I don't think she could possibly look at everybody's kids. Secondly, it's not really her field. You, she's not a pediatrician. You, she wouldn't necessarily be the person you'd want to have looking at a kid. The way I figure uh, it, the way I figure it is, they worked together and they worked together very closely in some situations, as you know, evidenced by the whole the gun he was building and everything else. So. It's kind of apparent that, that Torbjorn and Mercy were close anyway, in like a friendly fashion. So maybe she's kind of like an aunt to Brigida, you know? Yeah, I could see that too. It's like the family friend who kind of isn't really related, but knows the kids well enough that they're happy to see them every time, you know? Yeah, I, I could definitely, if nothing else, there's at least the familiarity of, oh, it's Torbjorn's daughter. You know what I mean? Like you would yeah. at least know them that well. If they don't know that we don't know of any personal relationship between them, I thought Mercy doesn't Mercy have direct interactions with 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 I want to say Fiona and I mean Moira, doesn't she have direct interactions with Moira? I thought they did. Like I, they went back and forth. I believe that they chit chat with each other and they have some banter. I believe that I want to say that she also talks to Genji, or Genji talks to her, one or the other. Um, the thing is, though, we're also looking at what we're familiar with is the U.S. version, and this mm. person is looking at the por Portuguese localization, and the lines might be different. Yeah, because I yeah. was going to say, because in, in the U.S. version, Mercy has lines with Anna, uh, now Brigitte, Genji, 
Uh, I know she has Brigitte. some with Lucio, or, sorry, Brigitte, uh, Lucio McCree, Mai, Moira, Farah, Reaper, Reinhardt, and Winston and Torbjorn. So, like, I don't know if it's different in the other localizations, but she has a lot of character-specific interactions, USI. So, yeah, I don't think it's unique, but they definitely would make sense for them to have some interaction because they did, they would know of each other, at least. They're and a little did, connected. Yeah. Okay, so um, with that, that was our only non-World of Warcraft question here. Um, before we jump into the World of Warcraft stuff, I, I feel like we should at least mention that uh, we got a major dump of info last week in regards to 8.1. 8.1 is apparently going to have a lot more story content in it because we're looking at a warfront in Darkshore and there's story involved with that. We're looking at some kind of crazy scenarios that have been dug up. Um, and we're also looking at, well, there's new islands, but I don't know how much lore the islands are going to have. However, um, there's new raids. The raids are going to have new lore, um, and new world quests surrounding those raids, which is probably also going to introduce new lore in bits and pieces. So there's a lot that's going to come out here. There's not a lot that has come out as of yet. Uh, the fine folks over at Wowhead have been doing a lot of data mining. Um, most of the data mining that they've pulled so far has just been, here's the name of a particular section of a particular scenario. There's no dialogue or anything that's been pulled. Um, and I know that we've been getting a couple of questions from people going, oh gosh, I can't wait for you guys to talk about this stuff. Well, there's not really a lot to talk about just yet. So we're not going to be discussing that this week, but... Um, as the PTR rolls out and we get a chance to hop on it and play it and actually look at this stuff and see what's going on with it, probably by the next by the time the next Lore Watch rolls around, we'll be able to dive into that a little bit more. So if you're worried about 8.1 spoilers, you aren't going to have those today. You might have them in a couple of weeks. That's all. <laughs> Did you guys have anything to say in regards to the 8.1 stuff? I mean, uh, I'm interested in seeing it. I don't. Right now, we we know that Toronto does something. But that's like, you know, Toronto does something. It's not in and of itself a lot, a, a topic that bears heavy discussion. I am interested in seeing it. I'm interested in seeing how, um, what the story behind Malfurion's bear form, because I've never seen him in bear form before, mm-hmm. and uh, Taronda's changes, what the, what they mean, what happens alongside them. Uh, we know that there's a there's a two two raids coming out. One that's the you know, it's going to be from the Horde and Alliance side, and it'll be different for either. Uh, we don't really know. There's lore implications for that, but we don't know what they are yet. Um, the one that really gets me is the other raid. The one that deals with what's going on underneath Stormsong uh, Valley. Underneath the Shrine of the Storms, yeah. yeah underneath the Shrine of the Storms. And that was uh, that's... a very small raid with just two bosses, but there's a lot of implications going on there. Yeah, and it's very much touching upon stuff that you saw if you leveled through Stormsong. So that's all. It's, it's stuff I'd love to talk about, but it isn't really... It would all just be me pulling stuff out of my butt. There's no... <laughs> There's no information yet. The other yeah. thing that I'm kind of looking forward to is um, there is going to be heritage armor available for non-allied races. They are starting out with the dwarves and the blood elves, and those are their quest chains, but they're quest chains that kind of take you back to important points in history for both the dwarves and the blood elves, and I am kind of looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the other races, because this is a kind of a way for them to roll out lore with a cool reward at the end. It sort of harkens back to Legion with the artifact weapons to a degree, where instead of getting a new weapon skin or learning new facts about your artifact, you, you'd go back and learn about your, your race. So there's, there's that. That's kind of interesting. I mean, me personally, I'm, I'm probably the most excited for the Tron stuff just because I still don't like how little time she got in Legion and what they did with her, and I like the idea of having something more robust for her, um, because she's a very important faction leader, especially now, especially in Battle for Azeroth, and I want I want to know more, and there's the possibility of learning more about Alun through this, which is something that I've been desperately wanting for ages. Like, we know more than we ever knew before, but there's still so much more we can learn, and so much more that could be revealed to us, and I'm excited for that possibility. Yeah, I think with Legion, with Legion and what was being presented in particular, um, 
everything that was going on in Valshara and then the stuff in Suramar, which is basically, that was Taranda and Malfurion's hometown way, way, way back in the day, like prior to the War of the Ancients, they lived in Suramar. So I, I feel like I kind of expected that they would do more with Taranda and Malfurion. And they never did. It didn't quite pay off in Legion. So I'm hoping that we see it pay off here. Because those two are in some desperate need of character development. And I know that a lot of people, they complain that Malfurion Stormrage is like really boring or whatever. Yeah, he is. He spent a lot of time sleeping. He wasn't there in Classic. The little bit that he popped up in Cataclysm, he didn't quite make, you know, the most sense in the world. Because he was like working for a neutral organization while the Horde was fighting the Alliance. It's like, Malfurion, really? 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 Okay. Um, so I'm hoping that we'll see more in the in terms of like character development for them both because I don't feel like they've really gotten any since the third war. Since the stuff that was going on in Warcraft three. This yeah, is the I problem that I had that. this is the problem that I had with a good war. Uh, in that they were trying really hard to hype up Malfurion as terrifying to the horde as this nightmare presence that the common horde soldier was absolutely terrified of. Yeah, but, but why? they didn't do anything in game to really give you any sense of it. Yeah. No. And I want them to finally, finally take the guy that blew up the world off the chain and have him ruin things. Not once, but no. twice. <laughs> twice. I want to see Malfurion Stormrage walks out into a field, say a couple hundred forsaken on with war machines are coming at him and they all get sucked into the bowels of the earth by giant thorns. I want to mm-hmm. see like a tornado come ripping up out of nowhere and you know, make him frightening. Make him the figure that when Sorfang was going up against him, Sorfang knew he's going to kill me. Like he, yeah. knew, he knew. Sorfang knew I have no chance against this guy. I'm so scared of this guy that I will attack him from behind. I will it, abandon my honor because that's how terrifying this guy is. I, I want to see that as well because yeah, we have not gotten that. And then as scary as he is, Taronda should he should you should be scared of him and then turn over and look at Taronda and be like, oh God, you know, I'll go back to the terrifying moon monster person because at least he might kill me. I don't know what she's gonna do to me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing with Taronda. Taronda is the person who, when she gave an order to the Sentinels and they were like, we don't have to listen to you, she was like, oh well, then I guess I'm going to kill you. You know, and she did. Malfurion is a force of nature. Taronda is like the living embodiment of a god. Yeah. I mean, these these two should be terrifying, but they should have some kind of humanity about them as well. And I feel like... I feel like everybody's trying to latch on to that humanity part of it. Oh, let's talk about their love story. Let's talk about all this other stuff. No, I want to hear about how badass these people are. Well, that, right there. No, no, they right. are, you know? Well, that's exactly it, too. And I think that the time has come, especially now, for the Alliance to need to, I don't want to say lose some of their humanity, but to lose focus a little bit on that humanity because that's always been everything for years. Like it's always, Oh, we're going to, you know, Anduin wants peace and Gen is going to be calmed down and the, the monster in him is going to subside and, and all this other stuff. And it's like, it's okay for them to want to seek vengeance for what's happened to them. Let them show some of that, that emotion, that other range, let them be destroyers or, or reckoners for a little bit and that's okay like they don't always have to be one thing and i like that because it has to be larger than life because they are and they should be and we should be terrified of them as horde players and we should be maybe kind of terrified of them as alliance players these guys are ancient the only things older than them are the jernai (laughs) And, you know, when you see Velen actually do stuff, you get that sense. Yeah. When, even even on Alt-Trenor, when Velen stepped into the, you know, Void God and purged it, you know, that's the kind of thing that these people should be doing. Absolutely. Okay. Um. So let's jump into the first question here. And this actually kind of ties in a little bit into the 8.1 announcements. Um, this is from Tuckfin Shadowsprocket 
who darn well better be a gnome, although they do not specify, but they say, Hey, watchers, Tuckfin Shadow Sprocket here again. I was wondering if the new warfront in Darkshore ends up in the Forsaken Favor and they take hold of Darkshore. Does that mean that the whole area will become decayed and spooky? Also, if elves take Lordaeron and Brill, will they somehow breathe like life back into those woods? I mean, they do already have that hidden area where those fairy dragons perform that ritual. Take care, Tuck. Do you think that given what we've seen in Arathi, where we started the warfront in Arathi, and now if you go to Arathi, it looks like the warfront area, are we going to see something similar in Darkshore, and what is that going to look like? What do you think, Joe? I I don't know. I don't know what the warfront's going to look like beyond like a continuation of what we saw in the sort of the lead up to the burning of Tildrassel, and, and that's fine, and I'm okay with that. But I'm I'm really curious. Like Tuck has me thinking now about the aftermath of that. So thank you, Tuck. Um, I actually really like the idea that at the end of this, that Kalendor becomes more horde focused. In this case, like that's where the Forsaken sort of win and set up shop. And if if that's the case, and, and maybe that's the crux of what this is. Like the Forsaken are trying to expand and trying to sort of you know uh, take over the, this little corner of Kalendor. And then having the elves like leave that area and go back and start taking over Lordaeron and Brill and breathing life into it. And I totally forgot about that fairy dragon thing. I totally forgot about that. I know, right? But it's like, we we know that they can clear the plague out of there in theory because Jaina did it. I mean, Jaina brought in that ice storm and kind of got rid of the stuff that was pouring out of the gates there. Now, whether or not she can clear the entirety of irradiated Lordaeron, that's another question. But See, I uh, here's my thoughts on that. Okay. For, first off, there's plenty of stuff in Kalimdor that they have forsaken haven't claimed yet. And uh, one of those things... Yes, evil crows outside my window. Thanks, I am doing a show. It's like you got uh, a Halloween the... soundtrack going on yeah. behind you. One of those things is Hyjal. Hygel is right now it's in Scenarian Circle hands and that means Malfurion and Hygel has got a really commanding position to like look down at all of these places currently having horde attacks so are the horde going to march their way up Mount Hygel and take that that's one thing they'd have to do that didn't go so well for the Burning Legion yeah and granted the horde was fighting that but there's if the horde are going to be trying to take Hygel that's another story I really feel like this is the, not this isn't just Night Elf ancestral land. This is the place they've been for ten thousand years. These are their sacred places. Um, they've lost quite a few in this most recent attack, but Hygel still stands. As long as Hygel stands, there's no way the Night Elves are going to give up on that area. There's no way they're just going to pack up and move to Lordaeron. I don't think they're just going to say see ya to the World Tree. No, no, that's not going to happen. Um, they so lost I don't, one. I yeah. don't think they're going to give up on the second one. I don't see them just abandoning that area to the Forsaken and, and cleaning up the place the Forsaken left plagued and destroyed. It just isn't, you know, you can make an, a case that there's places in the Eastern Kingdoms that they would make sense in. Um, Darkshire has a place where you could easily see them settling down. Um, I can't, the Hinterlands has a place where they, you know, was it Lord of the Forest Song? I remember the name of the place in uh, the Oh, I don't remember, but it was one of the green dragon yeah. portals. Yeah. There's there's places there that they could settle, but I don't see them abandoning their home. It just isn't and maybe I, not abandoning. Of, no, maybe, it, I mean I could also I could see them withdrawing for a time to gather their strength, recover, and then go back in. I think that that time is eight point one. That's when they're doing it. They are coming back now. They're not. That's the thing about. We said we weren't going to talk too much about it because we don't know a whole heck of a lot. But what we do know is they've decided the time is now. They're not going to wait. That's what that whole Darkshore Warfront yeah. is about, is it's very and much Forsaken versus Night Elf. At the end of this, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I get I get, I get, get why you'd want to have the story, but I can't. First off, if the Forsaken settle down there, it's not going to be all spooky and haunted and, and, and blighted like they are because they burned it. Not just, they didn't just burn Teldrassil, they burned their way up to it. It's like when you were doing the world quests, the, the goblins were out there spraying flammable oil and setting stuff on fire everywhere and using Azerite bombs. It's, I don't know, 
this is not a situation where I think you're going to get a nice Halloween aesthetic out of it. I think it's going to be flamed out, destroyed, dead in a way that isn't aesthetic. It's total horror show, but not in the not in the creepy, spooky, plaguey way. It's it's like this place has been seared and destroyed. It's like post apocalyptic. Yeah, that is. Yeah, it's it's like Fallout. Wow, um, the Forsaken have never been this destructive. Like this is destruction on a scale that they, I don't think even they understand what they're doing. Um, so I don't know. The, I don't feel that this is what this is. I don't, I don't, but I, this is, I'll freely admit this is an emotional reaction. I don't have any intellectual supposition. I don't have any like arguments for why I don't see it. I just don't. We, we don't have a lot of stuff to go on right now anyway, because yeah. there's just, there's not a lot out there about 8.1 as of yet, but. Come back to us in two weeks. We'll probably have more to say on that subject. Um, I just, I'll just say this much. As a night elf player, the idea of, okay, now we live in Lordaeron doesn't appeal, like, story-wise. It doesn't... I, you could write a good story for it, but right now there isn't anything in game that, that would give me the, the connection of why they do that. You know what I'm saying? No, I get yeah. it. Yeah. It would also put them right next door to the Blood Elves, and they're not too happy keen with the Blood Elves right now either. I yeah. expect that that's going to be a war front at some point. There's going to be something done to the Blood Elves because they are the last bastion over on the Eastern Kingdoms for the Horde. Yeah. And I don't think that the Alliance is going to want to le- let that stand. I don't know. Yeah, just, and just like you, the Horde are eventually going to have to go after the Draenei. Yeah. And I'm really curious about both of those things because, like, we talked about that before, and it's like, how how can you justify not going after them, really? Because it doesn't make sense not to. It doesn't make sense from a the narrative that they've spun about, you know, solidifying their positions on these continents of leaving them be. So what happens now? Exactly. I don't know. No idea. All right. Well, let's go ahead and hop to another email here. This one is from Zam, who says, Dear Watchers, while questing out in Nazmir, I came across some Naga that were draining the children of the Frog Loa, Kragwa. According to the sorceress I killed, they were doing this to stave off slash cure their magical addiction. My question is, since when have the Naga been addicted to magic and why? Sincerely, Zam. That's actually interesting because in some ways the Highborn were that way with the original Well of Eternity. Well, here's, but it's been 10,000 years. Well, here's my thought. Um, back in Warcraft 3, when you play through the campaign where uh, Lady Vosh first comes and talks to... Uh, Kael'thas, she mentions the magical addiction thing as something that the Naga have been dealing with. And that's how she broaches the subject with Kael'thas. She says, look, we're the same. We're suffering Mm -hmm. from the same thing. We're both dealing with this magical withdrawal because the Well of Eternity is no longer there for us and the Sun Well is no longer there for you. So we know exactly what you're going through. So you should totally ally with us. Yeah, yeah, that was sort of the the pretense in which like they approached Illidan and be like, "Look, we're, you know, you could possibly help us out with this, right? Yeah, maybe." So, well, I mean, anybody who was highborn would have had it, like you know, because the original highborn were all touching upon the well. So Naga and Naga and Blood Elves are more closely related than Naga and Night Elves, because most Night Elves are descended from the common cast, the Calderai who weren't. Necessarily, the yeah, they weren't the, the highborn. They weren't living on the shores. They weren't, you know, they didn't have access to the magic of it. They weren't playing with the happy magic fun water. Yeah, <laughs> like, but the it wasn't blood elves, part of their being, like it was. But yeah, Naga are all descended from Ashara's direct followers, and the blood elves are descended from the ones who were like, okay, she's a little, she's pushing it a little too much for us. We're we're gonna back out now. And the the Nightborn are also are Highborn who originally worked for Ashara, but then we're like, the whole planet gonna blow up. I I I I I'm I'm sorry. I was totally okay with this up until the point where everybody dies. But I'm gonna have to use these magical artifacts to save my city because we're, yeah, we're just, we're just gonna make a big bubble and take two steps back into it and say, see you later, bye. So and then they to made a degree, the Nightwell and the Nightwell promptly yeah. got them. Addicted on a Even different worse. kind. Well, yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, because they were using well, it actually, for like it's par- it's a parallels real well with the wretched though. It does, but they were using it for sustenance. Like they were using it. That was their food. Everything. The night yeah, well was, was their food <laughs> essentially. Their it was, food, it was drink, everything. Alive, yeah. So um, it's actually, if you think about it, it's really interesting too because the nightborn, as a as a for all that we you know went back and forth about how both sides helped them or whatever. 
you cannot argue the Nightborn and the Blood Elves don't have more in common. Um, the only people on Azeroth who would have more in common with the Night Nightborn than the Blood Elves would be the Shendralar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Shendralar, because the Shendralar literally said, okay, we got a demon we're going to trap and use as a mana source. It was basically the sim- a very similar kind of thing to the Nightwell, just on a smaller scale. Um, so there's, like, you know, it, it is a really interesting thing about that. I never, I had well, not then, really thought uh, about the Naga as having that problem. And even then, the Shendalar are still highborn, too, technically, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they're the ones, they, they did rejoin the Night Elf Society. They didn't go off and, you know. But... And, you know, keep in mind that these guys, the Naga, have been, they've had themselves amplified in one way or another by Nazoth, because they were transformed. We know that Ashara got some sort of big shot of old god Gogo juice that made her ooh. super powerful. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah. That is a great way to control your followers. Yeah, it is. Think about it? it. Yeah, so you amplify their need for it. You've given all of this power to the queen, theoretically, who might be sustaining them and keeping their addiction in check in order to control them and keep them loyal to her. Like... Because, I mean, I can't imagine that me as a Naga, I'd be happy about that situation. But if my choices are death or, you know, take whatever mana cookie Look, the Joe, queen gives maybe me. maybe sometimes yeah. life is better down where it's wetter under the sea. Anyway, um, I'll go <laughs> But I, that, that, That's actually an interesting complex layer, though, to me. Because, like... You guys, yeah. hold on a second, though. To, to, to pack, piggyback off what you're saying, Joe... It was Vosh who told Kale that he was addicted to magic. He didn't know. Yeah. Yep. He didn't know that the Sunwell had been preventing it. He yep. wasn't. He, didn't he wasn't know. aware that there was withdrawals going on. He wasn't aware that that was a thing. He knew that his people were suffering, but he didn't know why. He was like, well, I, "They're all sickening and dying, and I can't figure it out." And she's like, um, "You're descended from the Highborn." So you're going to have magic addiction. Have you had a really big source of magic laying around anywhere that you could have possibly been holding that off? And then the light bulb went off. He didn't know. I don't think any of them knew. Which... They were aware because when when they were forbidden from practicing magic on Kalimdor, when they originally sat there and Malfurion said, okay, you guys can't use magic under penalty of death. And they said, okay... And then they just sat there for years and years and years, getting twitchier and getting angry about it until they finally just kind of snapped and set off that arcane storm. Somehow they wanted to kind of prove that, hey, this kind of power, it could be useful. It could fight against the Burning Legion. Should it ever come back? But all they did was just make a lot of people really mad and they were exiled. Maybe that's why they started going mad. Maybe that's why the old gods were able to get to them so easily on Tyrus fall. Maybe part of it was, yes, old god influence. Maybe part of it was they were already weakened because they were suffering from magic withdrawal. So anything that whispered to them and talked about power or whatever sounded like a really cool idea. And maybe some of them were a little more susceptible to it than others. But you know, generally speaking, having your boats come up right where you've got a Chithraxi buried that's never a great motion. No. They've actually, Chithraxi being buried in places has been responsible for some really horrible stuff throughout history. So, as, as you, you know, that's been Why revealed do they in this keep expansion. burying them underground? Haven't we learned that that's a bad idea by now? I don't know. What, what else would you do with them? Like, I'm just going to prop them up Man, outside. Man, that thing is really awful. Let's just put it in a hole in the ground. <laughs> I, I don't know. Whatever. Stop what else would we do about with it? it? But yeah, it's it's interesting to think about this in terms of the Naga and the night and the Nightborn and the highborn and the, now the the blood elves the blood elves who you know the high elves were the direct descendants of the highborn and then the blood elves being still basically being them so yeah you're right though in terms of like suramar and the nightborn they have more in common with the blood elves and i know that both alliance and horde worked to free the nightborn and and the nightfallen and get everything all set up get rid of um the Grand Magistrix, you know, all of the all of the stuff that you did out there in the Suramar campaign, that was participated in equally on both sides by Alliance and Horde. But when you look at it from the perspective of the people of Suramar, they were trying to forge connections. The Blood Elves were willing to put out their hand and forge those connections and go, look, here's our commonalities. Here's what we have in common. Here's why you should work with us. And the Night Elves were not necessarily they were like we got to go think about this we'll get back to you 
Yeah, and it, it, that's what I was talking about way back it then. Is the like I think approach. that makes the difference. <laughs> yeah, it makes the difference. I think. Well, between between and also not like to add into that, like you have this group that's saying we understand what you've been through, we understand where you've been, because we even we've understand been there. We even understand when your leaders go crazy and do things that you do not approve of, and then you have to take them down. We have literally factually been there. And then you go to the other side. It's like, I just expect you to eventually be evil because your boss was at some point. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll think about it. Like, okay, that's not, even remote, that's not even remotely a fair assessment of what Toronto said. Really? Because I feel like it is. No, it is not even remotely fair. What she said was, you know, 10,000 years ago, you basically betrayed us to the demons and then you had a last minute change of heart. How do I know this change of heart isn't going to be just as fleeting? Which she had a good point. She did yeah. have a good point, but when Sir Mar- presentation oh, matters, man. When, when when somebody when you have the option of this group might work with me in ten years if if I've proved myself sufficiently contrite versus this group will work with me right now. That's yeah. not. I'm not surprised that that she went where she went. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that. Oh, I'll just say it. I'm saying that the Blood Elves are short-sighted and always willing to make the the bad decision if it gets them a temporary advantage. And they're completely willing to do it this time, too. I don't know if it's if it short-sighted out, so much as desperate. Well, at this point, they, they're, it's not even desperate anymore. For now, it's they don't... Blood Elves are fascinating in that they live for thousands of years, but never seem to look forward. Well, we're in trouble with this troll war. How do we, how do we win this? We'll give these brutish, barbaric people the exact same magic we have. There's no way that's going to backfire on us. We're only giving you know? it to 100 of them. Yeah, it's not like humans are smart enough to teach each other. Wait a minute, they built an entire magical city already? Wait, Wait but they're way more been... <laughs> adept with this magic stuff than we are? We never oh, saw that I, coming. Yeah, there's a, there's a, we could go into this and literally be the entire show would be just talking about the various, I, th- I saw on Twitter somewhere someone saying something like that elves in the Warcraft setting are like Eevee from Pokemon. Where, like, take you take, like, you know, standard, like, you start off with even the trolls. You expose them to Well of Eternity. Elves. You take elves. You expose them to the old gods. Naga. You take, you know, it's like, seriously, it's it's like elves plus something equals new kind of elf. Elf plus yeah. dark equals night elf. Elf plus yeah. light equals high elf. <laughs> it's just, there, there's a lot to be talked about about it, but I think in general, the, the magic addiction thing, I honestly feel like that's part of the consequence of being capable of touching that kind of power illidan displayed it you know you you can't say that night elves had it but illidan until he got himself all felled out he was chasing after arcane magic every chance he got and he wasn't even highborn yeah i mean half the reason he went after the skull of gul'dan in the first place part of it yeah was to cleanse Felwood and impress Taronda and everything but part of it was ooh, that is a very shiny magical piece of candy yeah, and I would like that. <laughs> there's always like the whole thing of, you know, well, my secret plan all along was to get this to happen. But Illidan always had that once once a night elf starts touching that kind of power, they start chasing it. And it, you see it over and over again in night elf history. You see it with Dathramar. Actually, should we talk about Dathramar? Because isn't that one of the emails asking about Dathramar? Uh, yeah, that's going to be the next one that we talk about. And um, I do want to go there. But first, can I kind of touch a little bit on the desperation when I said sure, yeah. they were desperate? And, and you kind of shrug that. But I think that a lot of modern Blood Elf society and what they're doing is very much forged out of desperation they were desperate after they lost so many people during the third war desperate enough to ally with the forsaken and induct themselves into the horde even though they were formerly alliance it was surely they wanted to survive and they needed help to do that and then after that i mean they were looking at going back to the alliance because garrosh was treating them poorly and again, it was kind of a desperation t- tactic. It was like, how can we save ourselves? We have set ourselves up. And that didn't work out. And I feel like a lot of the reason why they were touching, reaching out to Suramar to begin with, like why the Blood Elves were really on top of that, was number one, yes, they had things in common. But number two, this is a Horde ally who would probably side with the blood elves over anybody else in the horde just because of those blood connections and the blood elves didn't really have that they didn't have that connection with anyone 
in theory, they should have had it with Sylvanas, former High Elf Ranger, but um, we've all seen where Sylvanas has gone, and that's not where the Sindori want to go. So they don't have anybody that they can stand next to and say, yeah, these guys are our allies, 100%. It was always, they were an addition, but they weren't necessarily the most well-respected addition to the Horde. And I feel like a good chunk of why they pulled the Nightfallen in, like why they were so eager to do that, was so that they could bolster their numbers one way or another. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just think that in the end, it's going to turn out to be another one of those situations where the Blood Elves make problems for themselves. Oh, probably. More. Uh, but then again, it's not really. I, I think Dathomar is a good place to talk about that. So. Okay, well, um, our next email is from Easy Target, who's a verbose troll hunter from Oldman. Who says, is Dothramar Sunstrider dead? A quick bit of internet searching does not actually say how, when, or where he died. Is it in a book that I may have missed or read over and it just did not register? If he is alive, while Legion would have been a good reveal, Battle for Azeroth would be better. What do you guys think? There's a tomb for him on Sunstrider Isle. Yeah. When you're you're doing that. Uh is he in the tomb? Well, here's the thing. I don't think... Dathramar is one of the few... When we talk about blood elves and high elves and all that, Dathramar was never a blood elf. He was a high elf. Dathramar, however, at one point was a, a night elf. He would have looked... He was a highborn. He would have looked like a night elf. And when they made the Sunwell, they changed themselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was a physical shift. Yeah, and he lived through that shift. It's not like Anisterion or Kael'thas were born as they are. It's Dathomar like uh, when you do the intro for Suramar and you see Elisand. Um, is it Elisand? No. No, it's, uh, it's, it's Thalistra. Thalistra. Yeah. You see Thalistra, and she's a night elf walking through the city, and then there's like this shift, and all of a sudden she looks like the Nightfallen. It was like that for the Blood Elves, and it took place gradually over however many years, but it happened. And But Dathomar lived through it. Dathomar went in his life from a, a highborn, a highly placed one, uh, right up there with, what's his name? Oh, I can't remember the guy from uh, um, Azuna. The one who's dead now, the ghost. Tortheldren? No. Yeah. yeah. No, not Tortheldren. He's the one from uh, from Dire Maul. No, uh, I know who you're talking about, though. The prince. Yeah. yeah. Dathomar would have been... Ferrandis. Up... Yes, Ferrandis, thank you. thank Ferrandis. you. You're welcome. <laughs> Ferrandis was like a prince. Uh, so was Dathomar, really. He was like a highly placed member of the of the Highborn. And his family name, Sunstrider, which was a night elf, and he was had that name as a night elf, and the night elves thought he was kind of weird. Um, and even when he was a night elf, he had gold hair, like auburn and gold hair. And they mm-hmm. like the, his family was always considered odd. And so when he when he led his people over, we, we were talking about desperation. Uh, the, his people, his version, his part of the Highborn joining the Caldari uh, resistance was a, an act of desperation. Like when he saw Ashara going totally crazy and throwing in her lot with Sargeras, he was like, this is not a good idea. Only he didn't have a city bubble to hide behind. Yeah, and the thing is, is Dathomar, Dathomar is unique in that he was offered the power of a satyr by Xavius. And he was like, so I get to get turned into a goat monster. Well, that's nice. That's interesting. I'm going to have to think about that. If you could just give me a little, I, I'm just going to head for the door here and I'm going to sidle out of it with not never looking away from you. And okay, now that I'm out the door, I'm going to run as fast as I can. You know, I'll, that, get, I'll get back to you. I'll get back yeah. to you on that one. Later, yeah. much later. So for all that he was a highborn, Dathramar realized this is crazy. Dathramar basically up... ghosted Xavius. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. He, that is, in fact, that's a pretty accurate description. So Dathramar went from that guy. He was well-placed. He was powerful. He was respected. People like Xavius and Ashara took his advice and listened to him to a nobody. Like when the war was over, when they managed to save what little they could, he was stranded on a continent with people who had been literally nothing. Like, you know, Malfurion and Tyrande were not important people before the revolution. Tyrande was like a minor league priestess. She was a novice. Yeah. And the temple at Suramar, mind you, not even like Zinashari, which was the big deal. Suramar was the other side. It was like it was the the lesser of the two cities. Zinashari was the, the hotness. 
and that's where he was from. And suddenly this jumped up minor priestess from like the second rate temple and that guy are calling the shots and telling him he can't use the arcane magic he spent most of his life learning to use. He and all his followers have to just, what, pick berries now? What exactly are we supposed to do with ourselves? And all that time, the the desire to use an arcane power is gnawing away at him. You want us to be one with nature? Like, go outside? What? Well, you've seen, like, I think the highborn, the nightborn are a really good example here. You've seen how they approach nature. Everything, like, look at the botanist. Everything in Silvermoon and Eversong Woods is artificial. None yeah. of those trees were there when they moved mm-hmm. in. They grew all of it. They manufactured all of it. And that's exactly that's the way you operate. see. And that's exactly what the nightborn did, too. Like, look, what was his name? The one that you fight a uh, high botanist? Yeah, the high botanist. Yeah. There's that, that bit where Kagger goes, he turned himself into a plant? Yeah. And, her, like, Felicera is like, he was really into his job. Like, you know, like, <laughs> she kind of she kind of brushes it aside. But if you look at the Arcanadorn and, like, the way that there's that group that were kind of like arcane druids before the druids, uh, the, the guy, you know, he basically says it. He's like, you know, that this is a melding of arcane and nature magic. That's... Their approach was different, and suddenly half the approach is gone. Like, we're not going to use arcane magic. That's You're talking about desperation. The entire existence of the High Elves and, the, and, and Silvermoon and Quelphalos was born out of an act of desperation. That's Dar- Dathramar basically made a series of desperate moves throughout his life that changed his people utterly. Because all of the people of his generation, and he's at least four generations above Anisterion, I believe. I think Anisterion's his great-grandson. Something like um, that, yeah. Just guessing, I don't remember. But Anisterion's generation grew up uh, over, like, the, they lived two, 3,000 years or so. They grew up being that. But Dathramar didn't. Dathramar was, you know, he, when he was in his youth, he was part of an empire that covered the whole planet, that completely surrounded the Well of Eternity, that could make exclusive use of the Well of Eternity. Pretty much nobody else had access to it. It was like, it was a night elf lake. You know, and they, the, the, the highborn, were the chosen people of Vashara. They were the Calderai to be. And in his lifetime, that all changed. And Silvermoon is a direct, it's that. It's a direct response to that. It is Dathramar. Everything about it is Dathramar. So if he were alive right now, I'm not saying he isn't. As far as I know, he's dead. I mean, there's the shrine of him. He but... would not be taking a backseat to anything. No, no. I can't. The only reason it I can imagine it would have taken him... something substantial for him to have gone into hiding. Yeah. Uh, like I mean, you guys did you guys play uh, the the Fellow Malorn thing? Uh, I did not know. Fellow Malorn. Yeah. The, the artifact. Weapon. The artifact. Oh no, I Flame haven't Strider. yet. I need to go do it. Yeah. When you do that, you find out that there's another Sunstrider line. Ooh. That. Well, there was four, wasn't there? I think so. I'm not. I'm not sure of like which Sunstriders are descended from there who. There were there were like two named and then two unnamed like lineages or whatever from him. Sorry, go ahead. But one of them you actually meet is a, a distant relative from the family who's a, like a relative but not in the royal line, who comes out to try and reclaim the sword and become head of the the Blood Elves. Effectively, she not she's not a traitor. She wants to bring her people back to Lake Glory. Like that's where she starts going to look for the sword. Lorthmar just isn't doing good enough. No, well, you know, sure he's he's this regent, but he's a regent. I'm a Sunstrider. Yeah. I should, you know, and it wasn't even like I'm going to say this about Leandra. I'm going to say something nice about the character. They did a decent job of giving you the sense of this wasn't just for personal aggrandizement. This was feeling like it's my responsibility. You know, it's my heritage. It, it I wasn't. Have to yeah, it wasn't like a power grab. It was, this I mean, is it, what it I was destined in, to do. It turned into one, but it didn't start that way. They did a decent yeah, job yeah. with it. Yeah, for all that I don't like playing a mage, it's a really cool thing. Um, yeah, but I have a that's mage like, I need to take through that storyline. If Dathramar were alive, I mean, I first off, he'd be really old for, for a, a high elf. Um, they, they didn't have the same blessing of immortality anymore they they'd run away from Kalimdor. they didn't make the deal with the uh with the um aspects so he didn't have the blessing of immortality elves age now they live a very long time but they age 
Whereas for 10,000 years, the Night Elves did not age at all. They were completely timeless. As a result, Dathomar, he'd be like, he'd be like, I think he's like three elf generations old. He's, it's almost impossible without direct access to an incredibly powerful source of magic that he could still be around. But we do not actually have a place where anyone has shed. And here's Dathomar's skull. You know, I mean, sorry, I'm talking about this a lot. I'm kind of a fanboy for Dathomar. No, it's okay. Um, so, yeah, easy target. I hope that answered your question. I mean, is it possible? M- maybe, because, I mean, we haven't seen a body anywhere or anything, and there haven't been any details surrounding how he died exactly. But there are records that, yes, he died. He's not around anymore. There are monuments to him. Um, it would be a great. I would love them to write a book that was the starting yeah. of, of Blood Elf society. Like, yeah. and not, I keep saying Blood Elf, but I mean High Elf. But the, what happened when they got over there? Like, did did they contact the old god servant? Did that drive them away? Is that that's why the they only left? Thing, that's the only thing that's kind of bugging me about this heritage armor. Yes, we're getting Blood Elf heritage armor, but the Blood Elves really, it was the Third War. That's when they came to be. And I kind of want to hear about what happened before that. Because there are thousands and thousands of years of high elf history that we don't necessarily have the whole story for. So, I mean, I understand why they're going the route where, oh yeah, you'll learn about the history of the Dead Scar and you'll learn about all the stuff that happened in the Third War. Because yes, that is how the Blood Elves came to be. But they were a people before that. And What's really funny about that is it kind of feels like... Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of like if someone was like, okay... Anne, are you ready for human heritage armor? Okay, I yes, I am. Do you remember 10 years ago when you lived in San Diego? Quickly, we're going to relive those experiences. But I, <laughs> I, I lived those. I was it's just there. <laughs> Do you remember when this happened? Yeah, it was my job. What are you doing? I don't know why. That just It makes me laugh every time I think about it. It's like The Third War are... is relatively recent in terms of history. It's only been like, what, 30 years, something like that? No, not even 30 years. Oh, like 10, I think. Maybe yeah, because we're at, I think we're at year like 34 or 35 in the timeline. And that's from year, year zero where the first war began. So yeah, so it really hasn't been that long since the blood <laughs> elves became blood elves. Yeah, uh, it's just it's kind of like, do you remember this? No, I'm not of gonna, course I remember it. Yeah, I'm not going to knock the idea behind it where they're like, let's show people the history because maybe not everybody has played Warcraft 3. Maybe not everybody is aware of what went down. Maybe, you know, maybe that's a story they would like to see more of. Um, Maybe they aren't as obsessed with lore as we are. (laughs) Because we are. But um, it's still one of those things where it's like, maybe they could have gone with a different part of history. No, I guess not. Not if you're going to go Blood Elf. You can't just give them High Elf armor because they're not High Elves anymore. They aren't. So... Okay. And I mean, we already have several pieces of quote unquote blood elf heritage armor in the game already because yeah. there's stuff that is, there's there's stuff that's already attributed to their ancestors when they, you know, founded that entire Sunstrider Isle. Like we we've got we've got a whole bunch of stuff in the game that that sort of harkens back to that. So I'm curious how that's gonna how it, it's gonna work out. It's times like this that I wish that we still had the caverns of time up and functional and working because these feel kind of like okay here's how we can give you a bit of history without the caverns of time right but if we had the caverns of time we could go back into periods of history that maybe maybe might not be the most relevant to what's going on present day but would still be a good opportunity to kind of showcase some history you know what i mean i miss the caverns of time do you guys miss the caverns of time i do I, I, I do actually. Stuffings. I go there I, just I, to like look at old stuff. I've gone there for the uh, the hidden skull quest recently. The hidden Which skull one is that quest. For? Oh yeah. So if you get revered with uh, the Valdani, Valduni, um, you can buy a skull, and when you place the skull, a troll spirit comes out, and he makes comments about where he'd like to go and what he'd like to see because he died before he got to see the world, and so you can take him to these individual places as you puzzle them out. The cameras of time happens to be one of those places, and so I just obviously to go this there. is something I need to look into. I'm still in the middle of Nazmir right now on my uh, Nightborn, my night yeah. Nightborn character. Um, but it's, it's, it's a little thing that's yet. it's a little thing that sits in your bag, and it's highly recommended, especially if you are like us and you like going to the old like the old places in the world. 
because there's some really cool callbacks and they're places that maybe as a player you haven't gone and visited in a very long time. But I, I thought it was interesting because I was just talking about this like two nights ago. It's like, you know, I haven't gone to the Caverns of Time in forever. This made me go there. And I'm like, you know, I forgot how cool this place really was. And like when I first saw it, like I remember first seeing it as a player and just being awestruck of like, this is cool. And even now, like going back after so long, it's like, this still is really cool. I, I miss the cameras of time. Do you when remember did you... we used to be able to go there before you could go in? I was gonna say the first. The time... angry, angry, angry dragons. No, oh, yeah. the first time, the first time I went to the caverns of time was in vanilla, before it was actually a place you could go or do anything with. And um, I made the mistake on my alliance character, my first character. I, I wanted to run around and explore the world. That's what I did when I hit level 60. So when I was running around in Daenerys, I found this weird path that went up to these sandy rocks. And I'm like, oh, what's here? I don't know. Let's just go up there and find out. And I went up there and found out that it was a very angry dragon um, that killed me like almost instantaneously. <laughs> At which point I was like, oh, oops, that's a thing that happened. So I ran back to get my body. And when I ran back to get my body, I realized that you could actually resurrect on the other side mm -hmm. of the stones blocking the doorway. So I did. And I went down there. And it looked very different from what it actually ended up looking like in Burning Crusade. Like, there were serious differences to it. Um, obviously, not all of the entrances were there down below for the different, you know, the different dungeons as of yet. Because those weren't they weren't a thing yet. There were places where they could be, but there was nothing there. Yeah, um, they were sort of like sealed off like little like cubbies, if I remember right. The hourglass looked very different. Mm -hmm. uh, it was much larger, and um, it didn't have any of the gold work or anything. It was just this pink light that was sort of bent in the shape of an hourglass, and there was sand going through it. It was, it was weird. It was super weird. And I was so happy when they added it to the game in Burning Crusade, because I was like, cool, that place is actually doing something now. This is great. Um, yeah, I miss going there. I really... I, I, I miss going nice. there with a purpose. Yeah. yeah. It would be nice if they put in another dungeon there. Um, I'm Honestly, I always, I've always been surprised they haven't had a dungeon that was like, you know, them calling and going, uh, we can't control this place anymore without our aspect powers, and this thing's going nuts. Can you go check out, see what's going on? Like, well, because that would be the way to do it, in my opinion. I, I'm going to raise something different. Instead of a dungeon, scenarios. Scenarios would be even better and widened up for players because then you, if you develop something along those lines that doesn't have like a typical class structure necessary to complete them, then you sort of open up more of the possibilities and you can do some of the really cool things. Like, you could do the fall of the Night Elf Lands, you could do the founding of Sunstrider Isle, you could do like the arrival of the Draenei. Like you can do all of these things in a scenario setup and just have a really cool time where it's like, you know, you only need three players to go and do it. And it'd be a nice way to just introduce some more story. Or like backstory I said, as a, maybe yeah. not, you know, the most relevant to whatever's going on right now, but it'd be the kind of thing that it's like tack on a few of these when the expansion is getting slow, you know, just to give players something additional to do, something that's kind of fun from a lore standpoint, maybe put in some cosmetic rewards at the end or whatever. Well, I don't know if we're going to get a chance for these uh, stuff to get stale considering they're dropping the next major Ooh. patch like, in a month from now. Yeah, well, right I mean, now, right now it's kind of hopping. So, but well, I'm talking I mean, about like when it all dies down, you know. Even if it doesn't, even if it's just part of the normal content, like as you introduce, they're talking about introducing heritage armor for the rest of the races. Maybe the heritage armor comes with a scenario. Like, why is this heritage armor important? Why is this something that this race cares about? What is what is the story behind it? Because like with the High Mountain stuff, okay, we just did their story, we understand it. With the Nightborn stuff, we just did their story, we understand it. Even the Magar orcs, like we literally just complete that story, so we know what this is to them, at least in some capacity. So I think that would be cool where like, you know, you even like we're joking about the human heritage armor. What if there's a reason behind it and they have a little scenario where you unlock it? The like, weird thing is that they kind of are doing that. That's one of the things that has me wondering about the new uh, battle, the new Warfront. That's going to basically have Forsaken and Night Elf, for lack of a better word, heritage armor in it. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what they're doing. Like the, the current Battleground, I mean, the current Warfront, the, I put together the 7th Legion set. I am wearing Human Heritage Armor. It I is am very, box, very pretty. I am box art from Warcraft 3 right now. Like, I seriously, you remember the original video of them fighting in Arathi? Yeah. Like, that's what the Horde and Alliance heritage, like the Horde and Alliance armor from those Warfronts looks like to me. Like, the Horde one looks like the stuff that the Orc is wearing. The uh, the uh, Alliance stuff looks like that that bat, that armor from that old, old, old ago now cinematic. So they're doing a lot of stuff with that kind of thing. And I think the heritage armor is a really good way to bring flavor if you're not going to give them something else. But I'm, I'm, to a certain degree, I don't know who, like, I don't know that the Torin need one. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I don't, I even, I don't know what I'm saying. I just feel like they're, they're working different ways to do this into the game. Okay. Well, we have been rambling for a while now (laughs) and we're actually running out of time here. So we should wrap it up as much as I'd like to continue this conversation. I do have other things to do today. <laughs> For you guys, the listeners of Blizzard Watch and Lore Watch, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial just to give you the opportunity to check out their service. They do have several different Blizzard titles available in audiobook format, including Before the Storm. That's the latest one by Christy Golden. Um, it explains some of the backstory stuff that's going on. And if you spent any time at all in the war warfront in Arathi, you'll have seen some references to things that went on in Before the Storm. You can pick that book as your free audiobook download with the free trial, or you know, you can choose from one of the thousands and thousands of other books that are on Audible. They have a little bit of everything on there. Um, you can download that by going to blizzardwatch.com audible, and every sign-up helps support the show and everything that we do. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ad-free site experience. Final thoughts. Just kind of tying back into this little tangent that we went off on here at the end. If they were to add a Caverns of Time like a scenario or something like that, what race would you like them to feature and what point in history would you like them to feature? Joe. Oh, that's a hard one. Hmm. I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to say Torin, and I'm going to say the time like before they became a nomadic tribe, like before they were like kicked out of their living space uh, and became nomads. So like before Warcraft three, like the time, that happened before then i'd love to see a little bit more of that and their culture there because you see artifacts of it throughout the world and we're starting to learn some of it like we learned some of it from like the high mountain torrent and and things like that but i'd love to see the other offshoots i'd love to see something along those lines because that is a that is a varied race that as much as we know we could still know more rossi what about you well, um, I was going to say Torin and, and specifically the pre-Yongal state when they got <laughs> met, taken by the uh, Mogu. But no, nah, sure, Joe just took it. So um, honestly, uh, I would like to see humans. And here's the thing. We know a lot about humans, but we know nothing about humans. There's that period before the Sundering where the ancestors of humans come down and create what is now Terrace Fall. And then there's the rise of Arathi and Strom and that whole period of time. And there's 8,000 years between those two periods of time that we know squat. What happened? Why did the humans go from, okay, we came down here with a couple of Titan forged to random barbarians across the continent. Do you know what I mean? Like, what were they doing for that period of time? What, what happened? Were they fighting each other? Did they have to deal with the remnants of the Chathraxi? Were they fighting trolls? I mean, we know that they didn't like the trolls, and the trolls didn't like them. There's a lot of stuff going on uh, that also I would that like cool, to see. There's also that cool moment of, like, when they were rushed away from Northrend, too. Like, they yeah. all that as well. Like that, that, I, You know what? I'd be on board with that, too. I think what I would like to see, and I'm going to go off on an entirely different tangent here. I would like to see the genesis of the goblin race. I would like to see the moment of their creation and what happened with the fallout from that, because that sounds downright fascinating. And we've been dealing with the whole Azerite and Kajamite. We were talking about that last week. I want to see more from that. Uh, And I want to see more about 
how they came to be. Um, I think that that would be kind of fun. We don't see a lot of goblin lore in general. I'd almost like to see the same thing for the gnomes as well. I, I would like to see, you know, the genesis of the gnomes and that whole fall from mecha gnomes to the gnomes as we know them today. Um, any of that kind of stuff to me would be interesting because those are two races that we really don't see featured very often. And I think it would be cool to have like moments from their history to go back to and look at. What do you guys think? I mean, the sure. Goblin one, especially after the stuff we talked about last episode, mm-hmm. would be super, super entertaining. Okay. Yeah, the Goblin stuff would be interesting to see. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, so that wraps us up for Lore Watch. Thanks, as always, for listening to the show, and we will see you again in two weeks. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.